Well, good morning. Um, I was I was honored when uh, I guess I should call you brother or pastor, Katie. But I was honored when Katie gave uh, asked me about coming in and speaking to y'all this morning. And uh, I just want to before we move on from what we just saw, I want to spend just a moment about that. Um, and encourage you to to return this evening and to hear from a missionary. And just just a thought: if if you or your family has never gone on a mission trip, it'll change you. If you want to throw some miracle grow on your faith, on your kids' faith, go with them. Um, when they get old enough, you know, high school and college. Uh, Invest in your kids and instead of doing spring break trips, have them go on a mission trip. If you've never been, go on a mission trip. Uh, it will rock your world. It will rock your faith. Most people have the ambition of going on a mission trip thinking they're going to go and change the world. But what happens is they come back changed. So just as a, as a public service announcement, uh, it's good for you. It's good for your faith. Um, it'll grow you. So... Um, Y'all have um, come here today for uh, a church service, and that's why I'm here. And I hope you didn't come to meet me, because if you did, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, But um, what I wanted to do today is to come and share a word with you. And a, a word not from me, hopefully, but my prayer is that you hear a word from the Lord. And uh, so let's just get into that for a minute. So let's just, let's just offer a word of prayer to, to begin with. Lord Jesus, Father, Lord, we pray that you would meet with us here today, that you would be glorified, that your children would hear something from you today, not from me, but from you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you challenge us and you grow us and most importantly, Father, may we, may we grow our faith in you, and may we strive to live every day of our life in a way that brings you glory and to show the fruit of the Spirit in our life. We love you. We praise you. We give this time in our life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so just a little prelude. Um, who am I? It doesn't matter if you know who I am. Okay, let me just get that out of the uh, out from Jump Street. If you go through life and don't know me, then you've probably been just fine. But if you go through life and don't meet my Jesus, you're going to have problems and issues. So um, you've heard my name and my name, my titles or whatever. Those are not important. Okay, uh, one of the titles that that I carry. Uh, at this point in time, is the medical director of First Option Care, the Crisis Pregnancy Center here. And so that's uh, one of the monikers that I come to you today with as far as advocating for a local crisis pregnancy center, which is a soul-reaching ministry, okay? So it's not just about, about teaching moms about the pregnant see that they have and the, and the baby inside of them, but they also reach out to them and present the gospel, and they reach out to the fathers as well. So that is a a phenomenal ministry, and I know Brother Katie's talking about doing a, uh, a love offering at the end. So I encourage you to, 
to invest in that or our other local crisis pregnancy ministries uh, across the nation. And uh, we'll get into that in, in a minute. But if you don't know who I am, that is perfectly fine, perfectly appropriate. Um, and um, you're probably a little better off. But a little bit of my history, and this is kind of based off of how Paul. Paul would go in the New Testament, he would go and introduce people, and, and giving them a little bit of their background, his background, he got his foot into the door occasionally, where he would have otherwise not gotten his foot into the door. So a little bit about me. I was born and raised uh, in the church. Uh, my father is uh, was a, a minister. He was a Sunday school teacher and and preaching at Sunday school and teaching Sunday school, and then he got saved afterwards. So, uh, but I was grown and raised in the church, and our church that we grew up in was, for lack of better terms, kind of Baptocostal, Pentecostal, little, you know, if, if you pick up what I'm putting down. But, um, and so I, I have that as a background, but the important thing about that is it's not about me, it's not about what label that I put on my faith. If you want to ask what denomination I am, I, I'm, I'm I'm not. I believe the Bible from cover to cover, and I don't think that we're going to be separated into neighborhoods when we get into heaven. Methodist here, Baptist there, Pentecostal there. So it's all about Jesus. So um, that's, that's the important background here for me. So we're here today. It's kind of, I feel kind of like a hired gun. Uh, if you used to watch FSU football, you could always know when Bobby Bowden called a timeout and came out on the field and got the team out in the huddle. You knew what was coming. It was a trick play. Okay, so um, I, I am kind of the higher gun here today uh, to, to come and to speak this morning on the topic of sanctity of human life. And if, if, if you're not challenged or pleased or happy or whatever at the end of the service, I blame KD. Um, because this is the probably the third time he has heard me give a, a message or... Um, uh, presentation on sanctity of human life uh, f- and some other churches that we've been associated with in the past. And he probably remembers each of those times I never stayed on topic. So uh, I'm not sure we're going to stay on topic again today, but this is Katie's fault if we don't, okay? So uh, let's do what we're here to do. Let's talk about sanctity of human life. So if you would, uh, open your Bible or um, use your phone or whatever uh, mechanism you have to, to read the word. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and, and I'll read verses 13 through 16. And I'm going to assume this is not the first time you've heard this. If you have the opportunity or able-bodied enough, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 139, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, that hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. And curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. You may have a seat. Thank you. 
Human abortion is wrong. Human abortion is murder. That's it. I don't think I'm bringing anything new to you on that topic. Okay? That's, that's our lesson for today. Brother KD, if you want to come up and, and give the altar call, that would be great. That, that's, that's kind of a, uh, uh, from the rest of where we're going today, a foundational knowledge. Just as if there is a, the assumption that we have a foundational knowledge that we're here today to learn or to hear a word to touch us from our Lord and Savior. There's a, and you can't assume, but the assumption is that if you're here today, you're either, you came voluntarily, or you were dragged in by your parents, or someone else told you you better be there, but the assumption is that you know or have or are seeking a relationship with Jesus. That's the other baseline assumption that I'm going to build off of here today. But as far as sanctity of human life, we, we, we've, we've checked off our boxes here. We, we've talked about abortion. It's bad. Let me, let me, let me stop for a second and, and offer a couple of definitions. Let's talk about sanctity, and then let's talk about abortion. So just simple Webster's um, dictionary searches, sanctity. What, what sanctifies something? So according to Webster, sanctity defines something as a holiness of life and character or godliness, the, the quality or state of being holy or sacred, or sacred. Sanctity, sanctity of human life. Now you know what it's about. It's set apart, it's holy, it's meant to be special. Okay, well, what about abortion? Sanctity of human life is really across the nation today, people are talking about abortion and how abortion is not good. So what do we know about abortion? Abortion and when we talk about human abortion, we talk about the life, human life termination of a pregnancy. That's what we're going to use as our definition. Now, there is a little bit of a distinction here from the medical aspect of things. There are, because we use that term in medicine as well, there's an elective abortion and then there's a spontaneous abortion. And for the common vernacular, when you hear someone talking about or debating about abortion, we're talking about elective abortions. A mother or father chooses or decides to terminate or reduce a pregnancy. Spontaneous abortions happen by accident. The mother did not choose. The mother may have been all in and invested and wanted and desired the pregnancy, but something went wrong and she miscarried. Okay, so Medical terms, you've heard miscarriage, but that also is referred to as a spontaneous abortion, just so you don't get confused by someone debating and don't have the, the same topics or the same definitions. So, um, but to abort something isn't always necessarily a bad thing, okay? So the, there's more definitions here besides just the, the concept of human life, Okay. Um, you can abort things in reference to flight. You've heard military movies or missions, and the, the F-16 is zooming in on a target, and then something happens, and they get called off, and what do they say? Abort, abort, abort. They stop the mission. Or when NASA's ready to launch a, lock, a rocket and the weather's bad, they abort the launch. Okay, so there, it's also a termination or ceasing 
um, that we that we know of. Okay, so now we've talked about some definitions, sanctity. We have an idea about abortion and the multiple different aspects that it can carry into life. Now let's very quickly summarize the problem with abortion here today, and then then we have some some more ground to cover here. So abortion, just th- this is no news to you. This is like a recap, basically. But abortion, basically, 50 years ago, uh, back in, uh, I guess that was 73, legalized in, in the states uh, from Roe v. Wade, um, and it was... Um, it was basically not, there are lots of legal problems with how Roe v. Wade was done because it didn't go through the legislative body. It was done by activist judges passing a judicial judgment that then became the rule and law of land. And that is some of the reason and background why this last year, back on June 24th, the Supreme Court backed up and overturned Roe v. Wade. And that's something that I'm sure you have all heard and something that we as the the Christ fallen community have been praying for for decades and decades, and it is a win in in the uh, pro-life movement. However, what you need to know is that that battle is not over, okay? What, What we have done is we have gone from a national dictum from a judicial movement, now that battle has translated down to all 50-plus states and territories where that battle will be played out the way that it should have been in the past through the legislative bodies, okay? So that's just a quick little civics lesson, but that battle ain't over. We're not done talking about abortion in this country. The battle, is anything, is just now starting to rev up. And so when you have uh, places like uh, crisis pregnancy centers or these pro-life uh, 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 faith-based anti-abortion uh, ministries get behind them. They still need your support. You don't have to take a victory lap because the victory lap is not done. Okay, You're, it's not time to celebrate. Um, and when you think about it, um, how did we actually get to this state? It has everything to do with re-education and to make people think that. Abortion is not that bad. Well, how do we do that? Well, we confuse the public by using all these big fancy medical terms and talking about a fetus or an embryo or a zygote instead of just using common sense and saying, that's a baby. It's a baby, it's a baby, it's a baby. It's the same concept that Hitler used in Germany when talking about the Jews. He convinced his, his people and lots of others that it was okay to exterminate the Jews because they were less than. They were not human. They were as might as well have been a cockroach. No one is going to think twice if someone steps on a cockroach, okay, because they're not equal to you. They're not a human. Well, that is the same uh, tactic that the enemy used to convince a lot of people that may be good people, but they got confused about what the definition of is is. They got confused about who is a baby and what is a baby, and it's like, oh, it's just a collection of cells. No, the truth is the truth, and the truth is that collection of cells is a baby. And that's why I stand behind my statement before that human abortion is wrong. Again, we're talking about elective abortion. Human elective abortion is wrong because it's uh, murder. It's ending a life, okay? So, and if you think about it, when we talk about where the battle is now going from the political side of things, do you think that the state of Georgia is safe? Um, I, 
you know, I'll leave that up to you. I'm not going to really delve into politics here, but you've seen the, the political scheme across the nation, and you've seen different things happen with, with different cultural things and, and cancel culture and all the different things. Do you really think if it came up on a election tomorrow about to legalize abortion in the state of Georgia, do you think you would be happy with the outcome or the verdict? I'm not so sure that I would feel that way, okay? Um, so my point being, support your local crisis pregnancy centers and all the ministries that are involved in doing that and spreading the word. And again, it's not just about abortion, but also about a soul-winning ministry that you have in your own community here. There are other communities, Tallahassee, they have some as well. You hear about them on like WayFM or other radio stations that you listen to. Okay, so checking on another box. We have talked about sanctity. We've talked about abortion. We've read Psalm 139. You can check your boxes. You've done. You're done. Maybe you even write a check here in a few minutes uh, or whatever for the crisis pregnancy center in your local community. You've done this. Wait till next year for next sanctity of human life, right? So now, are you ready for the altar call yet? You want some more? All right, let's go. All right, so now, now that we've made it through that, let's, let's get down to business. So, um, Really, what I want you to focus on and think about here, because maybe abortion has touched your family. Maybe it is not. Maybe, maybe your childbearing years are past, but maybe you have children who will face crisis pregnancies. Maybe, maybe the abortion issue is so remote to you that you just don't care, okay? Hold that thought, because now I want to read to you the third definition of abortion listed in the Webster Merriam Dictionary online, okay? The third definition of abortion has nothing to do with aircraft, and it has potentially nothing to do with the life of a child. But the other definition of abortion says the arrest of development as of a part or process resulting in imperfection to remain rudimentary. And then it mentions terminate a pregnancy. But the, you know how good dictionaries do? They lead you on to thesauruses and talk about synonyms. You know, synonyms are one word that actually means something that's close to it. So listen to some of the synonyms for abortion here. Abandonment, calling off, Cancellation, recall, repeal, revocation. And so what I want to challenge you here today is for you to think about your own abortion. Because what I want to tell you is that this battle of abortion is not some distant, ethereal, online debate or something that the news channels are going to have different uh, takes on. The abortion battle that I want to talk about with you today is your own battle of abortion. And that abortion is you and how you handle or how you might prematurely terminate or remain rudimentary in your faith. What I'm talking about is your faith abortion. You've probably never heard someone talk about 
sanctity of human life, and then relate it back to you and where you are in your spiritual growth. But that's where we're going. That's the take-home message and challenge today, to talk about where you stand on your faith and your growth. Some people ignore the issue. There are some churches today that you can't go in and have a message and speak about abortion because that's taboo. It's No, we don't talk about that. We're going to sweep it under the rug. Okay, I don't get that that's the, 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 the vibe here at this church, okay? You, what I see here, when I look out and I see stalwarts of the faith, I see people who are interested, who are interested in being challenged, who want to know and want to grow in their faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, why are you here? You'd probably be at home sleeping or getting ready for a ball game or something else, but I, I get it. You're here not just out of religiosity or not just out of habit. You're here, hopefully, because you're seeking, okay? My challenge to you today is never stop the seeking because for you to stop seeking your spiritual growth is your own spiritual abortion, for you to remain rudimentary in your faith. We used to sing this song when, when uh, we were growing up in church. Uh, and by the way, singing anniversary reminds me of growing up. We would not sing as nice and prim and proper as y'all were. We would always sing happy anniversary to y'all. Y'all were more proper and saying you, I get it, and so that's, that's nice. But we used to sing this song growing up in church when uh, it's scriptural, but we would get we would get saved, and then we would plant our feet, and then we'd say, I shall not be, I shall not be moved, and that was it. We got our fire insurance, and we were done. We didn't want to grow. We were, the, the revival was something that was scheduled, okay? A fire was something that was scheduled, okay? So I get it, but that's the problem that, me, that we and me, as most Christians, we struggle with. We struggle to keep and maintain that fire. And that's my challenge to you today is to see where you stand. Where are you in your spiritual growth and your spiritual walk? Are you in the midst of a spiritual abortion? So, and, and, and then the thing that has shook me this week and has caused me to lose a lot of sleep this week and last week are stories like the one of my friend who, much like you see here on, on a missionary coming tomorrow or this evening, I have a friend of mine who has most recently walked away from the faith. And this is a friend of mine that I did ministry with, hard ministry, in the ditches. I'm talking about I went to his mother and father's house, not in Camilla, not in Atlanta. We were in Guatemala because that's where he grew up. He was an MK, a missionary kid. I'm talking about someone who was grown and raised in the faith. I sat around his kitchen table, and we did prayer time and, and, and prayer requests and prayed for the saints at his kitchen table with his parents. This is someone who, who I know was, was taught the tenets of the faith, someone who was not just going through the motions, he believed this. He lived this. 
His parents did so much that they uprooted their family and said, not my will, but thine. Wherever you call, I will go. And they left this country to go spread the gospel. And so this is, this is the environment that my friend was born and raised and grown and groomed in. And now, through a process of deconstruction, my friend has walked away from his faith. Deconstruction, have any, by show of hands, have any of you ever heard that term before, deconstruction? Okay. Deconstruction in religious circles is the in vogue wokeness of people who think that they're more enlightened than what they used to be. Okay. They think that they see through the smoke in the mirrors of something that they've been taught, and they think, that's just mom and dad. Their faith is crazy. I don't get it. That doesn't work for me. Okay? And so they deconstruct their faith. Now, let me just mention this for a minute. Deconstruction is just like we mentioned opportunities or variations of abortion. Not all deconstructions are bad. Okay? There are things in our faith life that are traditions, okay, that we can really do good homage and, and growth in, in looking at and to deconstruct some things in our life that are more traditional than biblical, okay? So and there's no problem with that deconstruction as long as you build back something else, okay? So that deconstruction actually becomes a remodeling. Okay, but that's not what's happening in the in the the Christian world today. You hear of all these people espousing to progressive Christianity, and I'd tell you to be very very careful with that because the progressive Christianity doesn't necessarily follow the Christian God that you do. Okay, so when you are looking and hearing people talking about their own spiritual deconstruction. Perk your ears and listen and say, okay, are you deconstructing something that can be rebuilt that is more biblical? Are you just walking away from the faith? Because that's what most of these people who are deconstructing are doing. Because they are in the midst of performing their own self-inflicted spiritual abortion. And that is my clarion call to you today. Are you willingly, electively causing your own spiritual abortion Or is it something that's just kind of happening to you spontaneously? So, and then the question is, well, why can you have someone who is so founded in their faith, basically grown, raised, and spoon-fed it, and taught it, and believed it, and walked it, how can they walk away from something that is so central and so core to them? And I believe it has a lot to do with apologetics. And the apologetics aspect of it is they don't know how to defend their faith. They come to Sunday school or they have Bible studies and they get taught the fairy tale version of it. And they, when they get challenged at school or some other entity or someone who is a uh, well-versed or well-vocal spokesperson, when they get challenged, they can't defend their own faith. And then they start to have doubts and questions and they walk away. So the apologetics, how do you defend your faith? And, when, and, and I've done a little bit of homework, and I've turned on 
the app, and I've listened to different things. That's how I knew that KD got a watch for Christmas, and he may have to let me borrow it. I left mine at home. But, but the whole premise here is that I get it. And, and Brother KD's in the, in the beginnings of discipleship and what he's going to go through with you. And this is how you learn the apologetics. It's not just the same old stories. If it is the same old story to you, I challenge you to stop. Stop reading it and get on your face and say, God, what would you have me to learn through this message that I've read 500 times what is new in this verse. Why are you trying to challenge me with this verse? What new can I learn from it? Because otherwise, you are just being complacent and you are potentially implicit in your own spiritual abortion. God has something to speak to you through this living word. Why do we walk away? Why do people such as this who were grown and raised in the faith walk away? It's because we stop. We stop learning. We stop seeking. We don't give up all at once. It happens slowly. It's like momentum in a football game. It's not just one fumble. Maybe it's a penalty. Maybe it's a false start. It doesn't happen all at once, but very slowly... Sometimes very quickly, that momentum can change to the point that the other team has the momentum, and you have to fight, and you have to fight hard to gain that momentum back. We get too busy. If you think about your life right now, you're probably mighty busy. We stop seeking. Our faith withers and dies like an unwatered plant or an unfed pet, because We compartmentalize our faith to Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Wednesday night. We don't talk about it at home. We don't live it at home. We don't model it for our kids. Or maybe we do, but we don't anticipate or expect them to grow it as well. We don't give them spiritual responsibilities, just like you give them spiritual responsibilities to help clean the house, to take out the trash. What are their spiritual responsibilities at home? If you're the mother or the father or the head of the household, it's your job to lead because I guarantee you they will follow. But where are they following you to? Are you implicit not only in your own spiritual rudimentary cessation, but are you implicit in your children's? Now, there, there's a line there where you can do everything that you know how to do. Like my friend, his parents, they gave all. Why did he walk away? That's not on his parents, okay? There is a line where people make their own decisions, and it is their own spiritual faith. It is their own spiritual walk. And that's what I tell you and challenge you. You have to own it. You have to own your own relationship with Jesus. You can't get to heaven because mama prayed you in. You're not going to have a good spiritual growth and a good spiritual life because mama and daddy drug you to church or just because you had your name on the roll. Coming to church makes you as much as a Christian as going to a car lot makes you a car, 
okay? You're here for growth. You're here for fellowship, and it's good. I'm not downputting church. I'm just saying there's more to it than this. Where is this at home, okay? What's going on at home? Are you challenging? Are you growing? Or are you complacently letting it fall by the wayside? And, and, and here is the American life, and we struggle. Second Timothy... Second Timothy chapter 1, it's where Paul talks to Timothy. In verse 6 and 7, he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I almost guarantee you that's not the first time you've heard that verse. But the verse before that that I want to focus on for just a second is when he calls Timothy to stir up the gift. How many of your spiritual gifts are sitting on your spiritual kitchen counter like cookie dough that you stirred up at one point in time, but it's been sitting there for months and months and months and now is moldy? And not worthy of consumption. Stir up your spiritual gifts is what Paul tells him. And then in the same chapter, verse 13, he says, Hold fast to the form of sound words which thou heard with me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So you have to stir up your faith, and then you have to hold fast. Because I guarantee you that there are arrows coming. You will be challenged in your life. Faith exercised. Is your faith exercised or is it without works? What do we also know about faith without works? It's dead. Is that what you want your family or the world around you to think about your faith? Or do you have to remind people that you're a Christian? Or can they tell by the lifestyle that you live? Our faith is not a bunch of of experiences. If you, are dis- if you are dependent upon your emotions to grow your faith, then I'll tell you that that is a, a weak root system of your faith. These milestones, these memories that you have, the joy that you had when you first asked Jesus to your heart, that is rememberable. It is a milestone and it is important. But what happened, what experience do you have from yesterday? What experience do we have from today? Where is our daily faith? Where is our daily experience? Where is our daily encounter with God? Are we still relying on our experiences from last month? Or Easter? Or when we first asked Jesus into our heart? If your faith is stale, if your faith is weak, if your faith is tired, then I would tell you that your faith smells like an old pair of dirty gym socks in the locker room on a Friday night after a football game, and it stinks, and the world knows it. And some of you I know knows what that locker room smells like. I've been there with you. It is rank, and you wouldn't wish it on any body. But is that what your faith testifies to the world? What your relationship with Jesus is like? Is your faith stale and rank? 
Or is it vibrant? Where's the fire in your faith? Do people, when they encounter you, do they encounter you or do they encounter Jesus? That's what we're talking about. Instead of having and living through an either planned or just unplanned spiritual abortion, the way that we prevent that is to keep our faith strong and our faith daily in our daily walk with Jesus. Our family follows our lead. Our kids follow what we tell them. But they follow more what we show them. I can tell my kids, and I do tell my kids, they can testify to it, to clean their room. But they don't see the example being set. And that's why I struggle. And that's why I constantly tell them to clean their room. I tell them as often as I want to, but they're not seeing it led. Carol knows. She's chuckling because she's seen my desk. She knows what my desk looks like. Okay? It hasn't changed, Carol. It looks the same. There's some spiritual disciplines that we must get out of our comfort zone and challenge ourselves with if we expect to grow. If you think that you've learned it all and that you have this God thing on lockdown because you've been a Christ follower for 40, 50, 70 years even, or even three months, if you think you know it all, then you too are equally deceived. At what trimester did you abort your faith process? When did you stop growing? When did you pull your spiritual placenta? Not to be too graphic, but that's exactly where the devil wants you. He wants you complacent and not being challenged. Where did you draw the line and say, I won't do that for God? Not a conviction, not like I'm not going to do this, but no, God, I won't do that. You're calling me to do this, I won't do that. It's easy. We're, we're born and raised Baptist. We know that. There are lots of don'ts. Danny talked about last week when the children of Israel, they had the Pentateuch, they had a don't for every day of the week, 365 don'ts. But I'm curious, why do we pick on some and not others? Why do we stop our growth in one area but not challenge ourselves in another area? Just throw this out there. I told you, I'm Babacoster growing up here, so I'm, you, you may not listen to a thing I say after this, but I'm going to challenge you. Where do you draw the line in your spiritual growth? Yeah, no, we're, we're not going to drink beer. We're not going to do that. Or, or maybe you are. Oh, oh, my Methodist brothers, they're fine. My Episcopalians, they drink all day long. But you know the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist is the Methodists will talk to each other in the liquor store. Okay? The Baptists do it quietly. Okay? Why do we draw the line there? What about some of the other 
things, and I get it, and I'm not going to get into doctrinal bashing or anything like that, but what about some of the other gifts? And there are some philosophical issues and, and things, and I get it, and I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to make you mad at me, KD, but, but, you know, what about some of the other things, some of the other spiritual growth things? What, what's up with this whole speaking in tongues thing, okay? What's up with the laying on of hands? What's up with the gifts of healing, Okay, and, and you may, again, not hear a word I say after this, but I spent time praying in tongues over this ministry, over this message today. And you're like, whoa, okay, we're done. Okay, that's not my point. My point is, where did you draw the line? Where did you draw the line in your own spiritual growth? I don't have the answers, okay? Don't look to me, okay? Don't look to the guy on TV or the gal on TV. What I'm telling you is, stir up your faith, or have you stopped? And then hold fast, but don't stop growing. Paul challenged Timothy, keep growing, keep striving. There's, there's a passage where he talks, Jesus and, and the vineyard keeper, about a tree that he was ready to chop down. And he said, just wait. The vineyard keeper said, wait a little while. Let me dig it. Let me dig the ground up. Then let me dung it. Let me throw some junk at it. Let me throw some fertilizer at it. I'm telling you, dig at your faith. Fertilize your faith. Stop being spiritually lazy like most Christians are. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing fingers at me. But if I know I have this issue, then it's probably an issue in most of our other lives. Because... I'm not going to keep you here all day, but I just want to illustrate this point for a second. How many of you, just for, just for giggles, how many of you, and I thought about having you stand up and sitting down when, when, when you can't. So let's do that for a second. Do me a favor. Everybody, just for a break for a second, I promise I'm going to get you out of here before, before lunch. Or dinner. Um, so, but just for a moment, everybody stand up here for me if you're physically body enabled, okay? All right, now we're, everybody is asleep, is back awake again. We're good. Got the juices flowing for a second. Okay, simple exercise. When you can't do what I'm going to ask you, if you can do this, then sit down, okay? How many of you can name five? Five superheroes, okay? If you can't name five superheroes, have a seat. By that, I mean like Marvel, DC, whatever, okay? You got it? You got five superheroes? Okay, very good. Really? Hardly anybody sat down. You're doing a great job. Okay. All right. How many of you, how many of you can name five SEC schools? Southeastern Conference football teams. Can you name five? Okay, we know who the sports fans aren't, okay? We got it, that's fine. There's no shame in this, okay? It's just an illustrative purposes, okay? How many of you can name five, and I'm going easy on you. My list here says 10, okay? How many of you can name five, if you've sat down and you can do this, I'm sorry, you're still sitting down. How many of you can name five TV or YouTube channels? Didn't lose anybody on that one. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe one or two. How many of you can name five movie stars? Got it? Old, young, dead. Yeah, not losing many people. How many of you can name five musical artists? 
Okay, you ready? Easy stuff's over. How many of you can name five disciples? Okay. How many of you can name five Old Testament books? And if you sit down on that one, KD, we're going to have a problem. Okay. How many of you can name five New Testament books? Okay. How many of you can name five martyrs? Someone who died in their faith. There's no shame there, okay? This is not me picking on anybody, okay? Yeah, okay. Most of you, if you can name five disciples, most of them were martyrs, okay? Okay, so I'll, let you, I'll give you a balance, okay? All right. Tyler's like, y'all stop so he can quit. Okay, okay. If you're still standing, it's okay. How many of you can recite the Lord's Prayer? And some of y'all are going, oh, my. You know what? I'll, I'll be, just be honest with you. Every single Friday night, they're down there. The, the football coach leads them in the Lord's Prayer, and I get lost, and I can't remember it, so I just start praying over the boys, okay? All right? But they do that every Friday night. That's what they're doing. They're doing the Lord's Prayer. It's not vain repetition, okay? How many of you can cite... A creed, a religious belief, the Nicene Creed, the Westminster Confession. Really? Really? Okay, if you can, sit down. We, we, we got a couple. All right, we have a couple Rich Mullen fans, by the way. If you haven't heard the Rich Mullen song from the 90s Creed, it's a, it's a great song. Not the band Creed, but the song Creed. The tenets of our faith, Okay. Oh, y'all are smart. What am I going to do to make y'all sit down? Uh, How many of you, okay, can quote from memory a single chapter of the Bible? Okay. (laughs) All right. You got it, right? You got the, the point is illustrative of the fact that we know as a community as a, as, a, as a culture, we know so much about the world we live in today, but how much about our own faith that we espouse? How much of that do we know? And how much of it do we have written on our heart? And how much of it do we live in front of the community that we see? There is, a, it's, it's on another piece of paper. And so bear with me. I'm going to try my, do my best to, to remember the quote. But it's from, if any of you remember the, 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 the Christian group DC Talk, from back in the 80s, 90s, they had a famous album called Jesus Freak, and one of the songs was called What If I Stumble, okay? And at the very beginning of that song, I wrote this down because I'm studying to figure out how to engage conversation with my friends who's walked away from the faith. But at the very beginning of that song is a quote. He says, The single greatest cause of atheism today are Christians who confess Jesus with their mouth but deny him with their lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world today simply finds unbelievable. What is your lifestyle? What is your testimony? 
KD is not the only one up here preaching. If you wear the label of Jesus, if you have told people that you are a Christ follower, you are preaching seven days a week, 24 hours a day. The question is, does anyone want to hear your sermon? Are they just there picking you apart? Y'all have critiques about my sermon today. I get it. I do too. It's not very fluent. But the point is, you are ministering to the people around you. Are you ministering with the stagnated, previously aborted spiritual faith that you're relying on from the 80s? Or do you you have an encounter with Jesus yesterday? Do you see the difference? That is my point today about sanctity of human life. Don't allow Satan to trick you into prematurely terminating your faith. It is a daily faith. It is a daily walk. It is something that you need to challenge yourself to grow and not be lazy and go home and turn on the tube and let the world go by because the world can see how sincere you are. And I promise we're going to wrap this up. I only have 10 more points. No. If your relationship with God is always a comfortable one, now hear me. If your relationship with God is always a comfortable one, then you're probably doing something wrong. He is a loving God. He's my best friend. But he's also my father. And he's going to challenge the stew out of me. If it's always comfortable, maybe it's because you're terminating it. Maybe it's because you're not being still and listening. Maybe it's because you're the one who says no and walks away before he even gets started in his conversation. The Bible says to be still and know. The Bible says that he is to be found in the secret place. That means you have to look. You can't just flip a Bible open and read three verses and think, okay, God, I gave you a chance. You missed it. I did my Bible reading. I'm reading through the Bible in the entire year. That was another one that was coming if, if we still have people standing. I read through the Bible. I did my due diligence. But did you listen? Did you allow God to speak to you or was it all a Christmas list to a Santa Claus in the sky? Are you having a conversation with God? Are you allowing him to speak to you? And to do that, sometimes we have to slow down and get ourselves out of the way. Don't be fooled by your emotions. An an emotional experience is wonderful, but it's like trying to prove God to someone else. God does not need to be proven. He will prove himself to you. The question is, how much does he have to prove to you? Will you have the faith as a child or the skepticism of an agnostic? Cry out to your God and then shut up. Cry out and listen. Expand your growth. And, and, and as I wrap this up, and KD, you really can't get ready. As I wrap this up, a couple of the things that God's been growing me in is the thinking about these big questions in life. I, I'm really doing some soul searching because I want to give my friend 
the due diligence that he needs, that he deserves. Because I don't want to come with some platitude of like, oh, well, you just didn't listen to God, or you must have been in the wrong church, or what happened? Maybe you never really did get saved. He's asking tough questions. But do you know what I'm proud of? He's asking questions. When did you stop? God still has something to teach every single one of you. And you know when he's done, the day he calls you home. And then you'll really learn. But until that time, we have growth. Die to self and die to the word. Die to the world. There's one area that um, God's growing me in and, and, and trying to learn about him and comprehend with my feeble mind different areas and and just for giggles as as we really do wrap up um do you know god god will not be mocked my my father's favorite bible verse and that was another thing we were going to do can you quote more than one bible verse um some of y'all would still be standing uh but my father's favorite bible verse was proverbs 3 5 and 6 and I can just tell you, if I tried to quote it to you, I'd misquote it. So, uh, but you know it. You've heard it. And to not look like a blooming idiot, I'm just going to read it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And so trusting God and trusting his word, when he says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he means it. It's not a trick. We... One of the things I'm learning about God is God and his extra dimensionality, okay? We live in a 3D world, okay? Height, breadth, width. We measure 3D objects. You can see this in three dimensions, not just two, okay? So we live in a 3D world, but let me tell you, our God is not limited to this 3D world. God can be the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can experience Abraham and the cross and you today at the exact same time because he's not bound by our dimensions of height, width, breadth, and time. He is more than whatever science needs to explain the cosmos. And current working theory has to do with string theory and ten different dimensions. You're used to four. Ten dimensions, and then it shrunk back down to four. However many dimensions science needs to explain what happened, whatever, by definition, God is one more because he is above all and can see all. And let me tell you this, too. God's not limited to one dimension of time. Just like we talk about measurements of length and mass and time, God can have more than one time dimension. He can have more than three time dimensions if, if he wants to. But if you put him on a sphere. Let me just tell you this. Let me just, I'm, I'm, I'm closing, KD, I promise. But how many, how many degrees are in a triangle? Anybody math major? Anybody know this? How many? Yes, ma'am. 180. 180 degrees in a triangle. And what if I told you that I can draw a triangle for you that has more than 180 degrees? You're like, yeah, impossible. You're right in two-dimensional Euclidean geometry. But if you go to three-dimensional non-Euclidean geometry, I can draw you a triangle that has more than 180 degrees. Believe me? Simple math exercise. 
Look at the globe. Look at the planet we live on. Go to the equator. Put a line perpendicular from the equator to the North Pole. Then go somewhere else on that same line, the equator, perpendicular. Draw a line to the North Pole. You have two 90-degree angles. But what have you just formed? A triangle on a globe that has more than 180 degrees. Non-Euclidean geometry, by adding another dimension, you can solve a problem that we have been taught. You can't draw a triangle with more than 180 degrees. Okay, same principle with God. He's not bound by our simple mind of the physics and mathematics of our universe. He created them. We can't even understand physics and geometry and math. How are we going to limit God and tell him what he can and cannot do because he is so much above and beyond us? You take that same example of the globe and make it not height, width, breadth, longitude, latitude, but make it time. And if he is at the North Pole, he can look at the equator and see the beginning of the earth, the end of the earth. He can see Moses. He can see the cross. And he can see you sitting here at Pine Hill today at the exact same moment. And just because... With an extra dimensionality, God's word is true, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his word has not been returned void. That is just mind-blowing because it's, it's, well, it's, it's new info. But if you don't challenge yourself, if you don't explore God, we might sit back and say, 180 degrees, it can't break that. I don't know. And KD, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I'm, I'm wrapping up and I'm handing it over to you to, for the benediction. My, my purpose and goal for you here today is thank you for, for waiting and for listening. But my purpose for you today is it's not all about babies and wombs. It's about you and your spiritual growth. And don't be a victim of a spiritual abortion in your own life, whether you desired it to be or it just happened spontaneously. Take effort. So it doesn't continue. I'm going to give it over to you, brother. I'm exhausted just listening. (laughs)